The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. So here's the deal. Uh, We believe that prayer works and that God has given us viable solutions. And so thank you for your continued prayers and continue to pray. Don't stop just because pastor said we got a really good idea that we believe is from the Lord. Keep praying. Amen? Keep praying. But prayer is really a funny thing because it's not a formula, but we try to make it a formula. People try to put prayer in a box, and I don't really think we truly understand even what prayer is. And we don't really even understand the purpose of it sometimes. I know there's tons of books written about it. And you're like, oh, have you read, you know, The Circle Maker? Have you read, you know, these different books that are really popular on, on prayer? And, and, and those things are good, but I don't even believe that those books fully comprehend and understand prayer. But here's what I do know about prayer. I do know that if Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who was born of a virgin, sent here to die on the cross for us, if he spent time early every morning to go out and pray, if he spent time praying at the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested, if he prayed on the cross after being brutally beaten, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, then I think you and I should probably pray. Wouldn't you agree? I think that prayer is one of the most underused things in the life of a Christian, but yet it's supposed to be one of the most important. And I think that as we're growing in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ, that we need to make prayer a priority. We need to make it a priority because if Jesus prayed, then I should pray. We should pray as a church. And we're going to talk about that in the message today because we're wrapping up our series. We've been going through the book of Colossians verse by verse, and today we are in chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Colossians chapter 4. Look at that, my Bible opened right to it, and I didn't even have it marked with my little marquee deal. (laughs) Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and as we look at Colossians 4, verse 1 is kind of funny because it's actually a continuation of chapter 3. So verse 4, I mean, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 is a continuation of that, because remember, the text is what is Holy Spirit inspired, not the chapter Uh, divisions and the verse numbers. Those things weren't divinely inspired, but the text is. So sometimes there are thoughts that may run into one another, even though you may see a chapter division. Make sure you always remember that when you read Scripture. It'll help you to read it in context also as you begin to look at it. But as as you can see here in uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, that's a continuation from chapter 3. So here's the deal. You remember at the end of chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul began to talk to the church at Colossae about how there's different roles that each one of us may have in life, whether you're a mother, a father, whether you're a business owner, or whether you're the employee, whether you're a son or a daughter. He began to address those individual roles towards the end of chapter 3, and he began to kind of give just a little bit of instruction concerning those roles because he knows that all of our roles in life should be impacted and driven by the influence of the gospel, the gospel that says Jesus is enough, the gospel that says Jesus is preeminent, the gospel that says Jesus is above all things and he's before all things, and that there's nothing better than Jesus. So the final role that he talked about as he was going through his list was the one of what it says in the English Standard Version, 
of being a bond servant, and we can kind of translate that as being employees and that master being that employer, um, and, and we can kind of understand what he was saying there towards the end, giving instruction to how you should navigate your life in the workplace if your life is being influenced by the gospel. So if Jesus really is the best thing, and really I'm supposed to be doing everything I do as unto the Lord, which is what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, he said, whatever you do, whether you're working, whether you're being a mom, whether you're being a dad, whether you're being a husband, whether you're being a wife, whether you're being a son, whether you're being a daughter, he said, whether you're being an employer, whether you're being an employee, he said, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord, because Jesus is enough. And if I do it as unto him, it'll change the way I treat other people, because I'm doing as, a, as unto Christ. So that's really what he was talking about there towards the end of chapter 3. And then chapter 4, verse 1 opens up like this. Let's read it. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, when I think about my role, because last week we talked about our particular mindset that we may have towards certain things or our roles in life. When I think about my role, my, uh, my role is truly changed and influenced when the gospel is at the center because the gospel changes my mindset towards my role. You may hate your job, but if you work at your job as unto the Lord, it'll change your mindset towards your job. You may have a hard time connecting with your husband or wife right now in life, but if I serve them and love them as unto Christ, it changes my mindset towards the role. It changes that in every single way. If our children are, are obedient to parents as if they were being obedient as unto the Lord, it changes their perception. It changes their value system and their priorities because I realize I'm not just working this job just so I can get a paycheck, just so I can pay the bills. I'm actually working in this company as if I were doing it as unto the Lord. And that begins to change. So that's why he said, listen, masters, you guys that, that, that are responsible for other people, he said, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. So employers, owners of companies, managers, treat those people you're responsible for as uh, just and fair. Notice that Paul did not dictate to the masters what is just and fair. He didn't say, and here's a list of the things that are just. Here's a list of the things that are fair. Why did he not give them a list of the things that are just and fair? Because that definition comes from a heart influenced by Jesus. You see, when my heart is being influenced by Christ, when my mind is being renewed to think like Christ, all of a sudden my value system begins to change. And now my priorities are shifting. Because Jesus said, listen, the greatest of all the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second one is just like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you will follow every single one of the commands because it's a heart issue, not a knowledge issue. It's not me needing more information on how to better incentivize my employees. It's not me needing more information on how to be more fair to my employees. It's a heart thing. And if I allow Jesus to be at the very center of my heart and I dive into him and I surrender to him like we sang earlier and I allow him to reshape my thinking and my heart's desires and direction, I'm going to be just and fair. So he's saying, listen, the gospel should have an impact on the way you treat other people. And if you are an employer, you need to be just and fair because that, is the, that would be the identification of Christ being in your life. So the more an employer pursues Jesus through scripture, through prayer, through fellowship, or just by hanging around other people that love Jesus, 
Does that employee then get a better definition of what just and fair is? If I pour time into the scripture to know more about Jesus, if I spend more time at church hanging out with other people that love Jesus, and then in my day-to-day life surrounding myself with other people that love Christ as well, if I spend time in prayer like we talked about earlier, does that not help to sharpen and refine my value system to where all of a sudden my definition of what's just and fair begins to change. If an employer treats his or her employees in a way that they know would honor God, in a way that they know would honor God, and then they lead their businesses as they lead as unto the Lord, will God be glorified and will that business be successful? Will it? You see, it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? If I do it as unto the Lord and I allow the value system of heaven to begin to reshape my mind and the direction of my heart and the way that I manage, the way that I lead, the way that I do business, all of a sudden my ethics begin to be raised. All of a sudden my morale begins to be raised. All of a sudden people begin to feel appreciated and loved and they've been treated justly and fairly. And what happens when people feel appreciated and you treat them just and fairly? Productivity goes through the roof, doesn't it? You see, but the business world, apart from Christ, would tell you to try to incentivize, to try to treat people just and fair so that your profits will go through the roof. And we try to just do the stuff without having the heart change. And people go, well, that book didn't work for me. Or it worked for a little while because I got 10 steps on how to, how to make my business boom. But you see, the problem is not the knowledge. It's not the fact that we don't know we need to treat people right. It's the heart behind treating people right. Because people see right through it. They can tell whether or not this is genuine. They can tell whether or not you're just trying to give them something so they'll give you more of something else. People can tell when they're being used. But if your heart is in the right place, and God is influencing your heart, if the gospel is impacting your heart and your mind, all of a sudden your actions and your behaviors begin to be genuine and transparent. And all of a sudden people don't only think and see what you're doing to treat them better, they feel it because it's genuine. See, so if you're a business person, if you're, if you're a manager, if you're a boss, let me help you before we read anything else this morning. Run your business and operate in your role in a way that would please Christ. Not in a way that would just benefit you, but in a way that would benefit Christ. In a way that would impact eternity. And I want you to take some time this week, and I want you to think about what that means. And as you think about it, you begin to implement these things that Christ begins to show you as you allow your heart to be reoriented by Him. Come back and tell me, if it does not increase your productivity, come back and tell me if it does not make you more of a fulfilled person. Tell me if it doesn't give you more of a passionate, clearer purpose. Because making money is fun, but serving Christ is better. Uh, four people believe that. <laughs> I said making money is fun, but serving Christ is better. Amen. So instead of you complaining about your job, why don't you look at it as doing it as unto the Lord? Why don't you change your mindset towards things? You see, stop accepting the good that robs you from the best. The best is Jesus and serving Him through the way you operate your business, through the way you manage people. So here's the shift. Here's the, here's the mind shift here. You are not the owner. It belongs to God. Let me say that slow so I can say it some more. Somebody. 
because I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying. You are not the owner. You are the steward. I know you leveraged some risk maybe to start your business. I know that maybe you're leveraging risk now and you're trying to balance those things. But listen, you are not the owner. God is. Because God gave you that desire. God gave you the talents. God gave you the energy. God gave you the body, the mind. God gave you the words. God gave you the ability to speak and to communicate. It really belongs to God because you really belong to God because He created you and gave you gifts. He made your mind to think a certain way, to be able to operate in a certain capacity. So really, it all belongs to God. You are not the owner. God is. So what's your role? You're the steward of what is God's. Are you hearing me this morning? If you, it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter if it's your marriage, if it's your house, if it's your car, if it's your job, if you are a business owner or a manager of people, listen to me. That role that you serve in, it is not yours, it is the Lord's. He is the one who has put you there, he's the one who's equipped you, and so serve and do it as unto the Lord. When you go and deposit money at the bank, do you not go, oh, well, there goes that paycheck, I gave it to the bank. Do you get in your car and drive away and go, that was weird? I handed them all of my money and they handed me a piece of paper and a sucker if I had a kid. Or maybe there were no kids. I just wanted a sucker. I should have kept the pen. No, you're giving that money to them because they're going to manage your money. And they're going to do other things, give loans out to other people with your money. And they're going to get returns on investments. And they're going to make interest with the money that you gave them. But if you want your money, can you go and get it? Why? Because it's ultimately yours, right? But yet they're the ones who are holding it for you. You are the steward of that business that God has given you. You are the steward of your family. Shane and Christina are the steward of Landon's life. They're the ones who are stewarding, but really Landon belongs to the Lord. That's why we had a dedication service this morning. You see, if you are serving the Lord and doing it as unto the Lord, it changes your mindset. So here's the deal. We have to steward what God has given us, whether it's a business, whether it's family, whether it's uh, our, our position, whether it's resources, whether it's influence, whatever it is, we have to do it as unto Christ, not simply looking for ways for us to get more power, more significance, or more control in our own eyes. Because significance, power, control, comfort, those things are idols. And those idols, they lie to us, so we'll worship them, but they get us trapped. And we think, I just need to be more significant. We think, oh, I just need to be more powerful. Oh, I just need to have a, more of a life of ease. And if I begin to chase after those things and obtain those things, next thing you know, if I acquire some measure of success in my own eyes, I'm only fulfilled for a little bit. And then I need more. I need more because I'm left empty. So don't go pursuing success for your own idolatry and your own idol worship, but lead as unto Christ. Earn as unto Christ. Manage as unto Christ. Use your influence. Use your position. Use your resources. And leverage those things not for yourself but for Christ. What if God put you in a certain position and gave you a certain sphere of influence because He wanted to use you to make an eternal impact for His kingdom? Because how, much, how many of you know eternity matters a whole lot more in the grand scheme of things, does it not? What if God has set you up and put you in a position 
that you thought was all about you, all for you, and you felt like you did it all, and God says, yeah, really? I set all that up for you because I want you to do something that's going to impact my kingdom. I want you to have an eternal impact with your life, and so I've been giving you different opportunities. If you would recognize them and do them as unto the Lord, man, it changed the way we spend our money. It would change the way that we spend our time. It would, spend the way that, it, it would change the way that we would even uh, conduct ourselves in more challenging scenarios, would it not? Wow, I need to do this as unto the Lord. This is really challenging. My flesh wants to react. My flesh wants to you know, show ugliness, but I need to do this as if I were doing it as unto Christ. Man, that changes everything. You see, if we see ourselves in, as stewards instead of owners, we live like everything is God's, and it gives me real eternity impacting purpose. So God, help us lead and manage our businesses, our families, our finances, our time. Help us manage those things as unto you. Amen, somebody? Amen. So let's go on and read Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. This is where Paul kind of shifts what he's sharing with the church of Colossae as he's wrapping up his letter. Remember, Paul's in prison in Rome. He says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He says a couple things here that I think are really interesting. Here's the Apostle Paul and he's in prison, and he doesn't say, pray that we get out. He doesn't say, pray that we get out. He's using even his chains as an opportunity to further the gospel. Instead of feeling sorry for himself and say, hey guys, pray for us that we get out, he says, pray that I might share the gospel and make it really clear. Because there is a guard that stays watched by my cell that I've been sharing the gospel with, and I want him to see it and help me to make it clear to him. Uh, pray for me that I would make the gospel clear so that as I share the gospel with the person in the adjoining cell or maybe even the person that's shackled next to me, that I would be able to make it clear. So pray for me, even in this situation, that I may share the gospel. Pray for me that as I'm using my time wisely, instead of sitting in a cell crying and feeling sorry for myself, I'm going to author and write letters to other churches to help them to focus on Jesus and share the gospel. So pray that I do that better. Pray that I make it more clear. Pray that that's my heart's intent and my heart's focus. Wow, as, as I read this first little bit, I go, this is a powerful, powerful statement. And he says, and you also, you also pray. Consider how you conduct yourself. Consider the way you use your time. Consider the way that you interact with other people. This is what Paul's saying, because prayer and evangelism should really be the focus of the Christian life. Prayer and evangelism should be the focus of the Christian life. Without those two essential, intentional ingredients in a church or in the life of a Christian, we simply just become a group of social do-gooders that have a form of godliness but no power. Without prayer and evangelism, we're just a bunch of people trying to be good in life. Prayer and evangelism are the two key ingredients and they should be the focus of the Christian life because no eternal impact is going to happen without people praying 
and people sharing the gospel. No real eternal impact without prayer and evangelism. Because what happens, even in church, we turn inward and we become self-reliant. We become reliant on our own ideas. We become reliant on our own strength. We become reliant upon our own knowledge, our own savvy, our own wit. And we think that somehow we can do this on our own and by ourselves. And there's no reliance on God and there's no intentionality in sharing our faith. And then all of a sudden churches all over the world become bless me clubs. And they just become places of social activity for people who may have certain similar value systems. But there's no real eternal impact. Folks, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm more interested in making an impact on eternity and doing something with my life than just floating through life trying to be a good person. I want real purpose. I don't know about you. Uh, that's why I, I, I'm not satisfied. That's why I'm not just going to go, okay, this is good. This is good. We'll, we'll, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. We won't try to influence any more people or impact any more lives for eternity. We're good. I'm good with my eternal impact and eternal influence. No, I want to keep on influencing and impacting people for eternity because as I see the Apostle Paul, he didn't go, oh, well, this is the end of the road for me. I'm in shackles. I'm in chains. No, he said, pray for me that I keep making the gospel clear. And by the way, we're praying for you. Remember in the first part of the book of Colossians, he said, hey, we're praying for you, even though here we are in prison. We're thinking about you. And what did he pray in the very first part of the, the book of Colossians? He said, we pray that you'll grow in spiritual wisdom and in understanding and knowledge, that you'll be able to see certain things that you need to see so that you can know the truth and so you can share the gospel and you won't be drifting away from Jesus being enough. And so he spends this entire letter reminding them Jesus is enough. Because the Christian journey, listen folks, is one of seeking. Over and over we're told to seek and desire and never stop seeking, never stop desiring, but rather have our desires rekindled by reminding ourselves of the gospel. When we pray, it puts our heart in a position of seeking God more and investing in our relationship. And I know a lot of times people say, oh, why bother with prayer? I guess whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Well, that's not the purpose of prayer. As we pray, we're fellowshipping. We're in communion with God. And a lot of times our conversation is one-sided and it becomes all about us. And we're not praying for others. Look at the way the Apostle Paul prayed. Did you hear one time him praying for himself? Did you hear one time him asking for things? No, instead he's focused on eternal impact. And that's what he's caring about. That's his, the, the driving force behind his words is in light of eternity, doing it as unto the Lord. It's not on stuff. It's on him seeing more people come to Christ, more people being made disciples in churches. He's seeing more churches grow and more churches be planted because people are catching a vision and people are wanting to share this great gospel because the greatest reward of prayer it's not even the answer to the prayer. It's really the fellowship with God. Because think about it. Fellowship with God is the one thing that we lost in the garden that was most crucial to our existence, that actually we were created for. We lost that interaction with God through our sinfulness. But then Jesus came and made a way for us to be reconnected to our Creator by dying on the cross for our sins. And next thing you know, now I can have a relationship with God where I can actually talk to Him and He'll actually listen. Where I can commune and fellowship with God. Where I can be a light for Him in this world because of what Jesus has done in my heart, where He's changed me. 
where he forgives me, where he loves me, where he wants me to mature, where he wants me to grow, where he wants me to make an impact for his kingdom. Because now he says we are still here because he wants us to be ambassadors. He wants us to be representatives for him. It's as if God were pleading through you for people to be reconciled to God. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 and 21 talk about. And the greatest reward of prayer is the fact that we get to commune and fellowship with God. So Paul's last words to the Colossians were, don't stop praying and don't stop talking to people about Jesus. Think about the last thing you would want to say to someone. Now, now Paul didn't die right after he wrote this letter, but he didn't know if that would be his last day. He didn't take it for granted that he would have another day in prison or that tomorrow he would be granted freedom. He didn't know. All he knew is that he had today and he had this moment and he knew he was finishing up his letter. And he thought, if I'm going to share something with these people and they're going to circulate it to other churches and other people are going to read this and other people are going to hear this, I want to make sure they know these things. Don't stop praying. Don't stop talking to people about Jesus. That's really, in essence, what he's saying here in this last section of the book of Colossians. Don't stop praying. Don't stop telling people about Jesus. And don't get distracted by this false teaching of the Judaizers and the Gnostics that you guys have got all wrapped up in and that's coming around. Stay on point. Stay focused. Remember, walk in wisdom. I know that there's outsiders there. Make sure that you, you, you make the best use of your time. Make sure your speech is gracious. Make sure that you season it with salt so people will know that when they come and talk to you, you give them an answer instead of when they come to you and you, you don't have an answer. Make sure that you're seasoned with salt. Make sure you're investing. Make sure that you're getting better. Make sure that you're growing. Make sure that you're learning. Make sure that you're increasing what you know so you can share, not so you can sit at a church somewhere and tell people how smart you are, but so you can actually do something with it. Amen? And then he begins to wrap up the last part of his letter by mentioning a lot of people. And he's giving thanks for them. And he's wanting people to be greeted on his behalf since he's in prison. Because he understands it's not all about him. As we think how great is the Apostle Paul. Yeah, he, he did some great things. And, and, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But at the same time, Paul was not a one-man show. He understands we make a bigger impact on eternity together. So let's read this last part of the book of Colossians, verse 7. And I'm going to butcher these names, by the way, but it'll be fun. Let's just go through it. <laughs> uh, Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him I'm sending Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now, if you remember, Onesimus was the one that was talked about in the book of Philemon, which uh, Pastor Stephen taught through the book of Philemon uh, last year. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Verse 10, um, Aristostarasius, whatever. <laughs> That's a tough one. My fellow prisoner greets you. And Mark, <laughs> I can handle that one. The cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is also called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, remember, Epaphras was the guy that was kind of the pastor in that area of Colossae. Uh, he, he's mentioned in the first part of the letter, who is one of you. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. 
that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He's saying your pastor's praying for you. That's a good thing, right? Verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, remember he's the one that wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, he greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read in all the churches of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you, have, you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You see here, if we're going to make an impact on eternity. I mean, if we're really serious about this, and we're just not playing church, and we're just not going through the motions, and we're just not looking for uh, some sort of good feeling when we leave on a Sunday, if we really are serious about following Christ, and we really want to make an eternal impact, guess what? It takes all of us. I said it takes all of us. You see, Paul was not a one-man show, and he wanted the other Christians to be stirred up to remember the impact of the gospel on their lives. Don't give in to this false teaching. Remember, there was false teachers that Paul's addressing. They were called Gnostics, and they were called Judaizers. And Paul's saying, don't give in to this stuff. Be stirred up to remember it's all about Jesus, and remember the people who are serving with you. Remember those people. Remember that it's not just about me here dictating this to you, but these other people are sharing the gospel as well, and I'm encouraged that they've checked on me, and I'm checking on them, and I'm wanting to make sure that they're doing well so they can continue to share the gospel. You see, we need to remember the preeminence of Jesus. <clears throat> we need to remember the preeminence of Christ. And Paul is saying, listen, he's better than anything. He's before all things. He's above all things. There's nothing greater we need to have a Christ-centered mindset and a Christ-centered value system. We need to pray. We need to share the gospel. And we need to live life intentionally so that what we're doing and everything that we're doing unto the Lord by praying for others, sharing the gospel, staying focused on our purpose, and having a Jesus-centered life and remembering to live for Christ, that as we do that, we make a bigger impact together. And he's reminding the church at Colossae this is about eternity, and remember all those who serve with you. And remember that each one of us have a responsibility. And remember each one of us have a role. And remember that we need to be stirred up to continue in these things as we pursue Christ, as we grow in Christ, as we do everything as unto the Lord. This letter was written to a church, and Paul said, spread this letter to other churches because it applies to them too. He said, send it out to the other churches. Make sure that they read this letter. Even though I'm writing it specifically to this church, it still applies because it's the same thing. So let me ask you this question. Does this letter apply to Word of Grace? Amen. Amen. This letter has been spread to us so that we may understand the heart of God as written by the Apostle Paul as given by the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this. If, if this letter applies to us, what are you going to do differently today? What are you going to do differently when you walk out of here that's going to be different than something when you walked in? What are you going to be more intentional about? What are you going to be more intentional with that perhaps maybe hasn't been as big of a priority to you? What has God shown you today or shown you through this series of teaching 
that has stirred you to a place of not just knowing more, but doing something different than you did before. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to just take a couple of minutes as we're wrapping this up, and I want you to just spend some time in prayer. Right in your chair, right there. You can come up here to the front if you want to kneel and have a, a, a time with the Lord at, uh, outside of your chair. Maybe if you just need to make a move and do that, feel free to come down to the front too. But I want you to take a few moments, and here's one I want you to ask. I want you to ask God to show you what am I supposed to do differently, Lord. I would also encourage you, maybe grab a piece of paper and write down. If you know God is showing you something or something has been stirred in your heart, that's God, all right? That's God trying to stir you up to move you beyond just getting more knowledge, but you not just being a hearer of this word today, but being a doer. And you need to write down that action step or whatever it is that God is telling you to do. I want you to write it down. What are you going to be more intentional in that God is stirring you to do? That's the question. What are you going to be more intentional in? We've gone through this whole book of Colossians, and you've said you believe that it's for Word of Grace. Well, if you're here, you're a part of Word of Grace, because Word of Grace is not a building. It's these people here, right? Amen. And every one of us has a part. Every one of us has a role. So what are you going to be intentional about? What's, what's your part? What's the thing that God is stirring you to do to make an eternal impact? I'm not just talking about something temporary. I'm talking about something that has the potential to influence and impact and change and shake eternity. God, what are you calling me to do? What am I supposed to look at differently? What am I supposed to think differently on? What am I supposed to do? It doesn't matter how small or big it is. It doesn't have to be some huge big thing. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. What's something small, maybe? Something God's wanting you to shift or change. Something God's wanting you to do differently. What am I going to do to make an impact, an intentional impact, an eternity by serving, by sharing the gospel, by praying? by being more intentional in my prayer life, by being more intentional in getting equipped to share the gospel, by seasoning my conversation with that salt like Paul's talking about. What is it? Is it something at your job? Is it something at home? Is it something here? What are you going to do? I want you to take just a minute or two, and I want you to pray and say, God, show me what are you stirring me towards. And if he's showing you something, and if you feel stirred and, and led towards something, write it down. And then do it. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.